am just eating a pastry while I wait for my guest to arrive um, for today's episode. That's right, I'm actually going to have someone IRL in front of me for today's episode of Chit Chat, which is super exciting because I've only been able to do it via Zoom so far. And in today's episode, I'm going to be chatting to Jasphere Core, who is the founder of a website called Core Voices. Core as in K-A-U-R, Core as in like see Core, sing and call middle name or last name Core. you know what I mean she is not only the founder of Core Voices but she's also a host uh, on Dash Radio she is a talk show host on SeekNet she is a Seek music healer and she's also a firewalk instructor so she's got a lot of skills under her belt I'm really excited to talk to her so she can share some insight into everything that she does, but most importantly, her work with Core Voices and her work at destigmatizing sexual abuse in the Sikh and Punjabi and South Asian communities. She launched a survey with Core Voices to gain insights and data into sexual abuse in the Sikh and Punjabi community. So it'll be great to talk to her about her findings from that. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I'm gonna finish my pastry before she gets here. So obviously I want to talk to you about your work with Core Voices. Um, So what made you start Core Voices and what are your main goals with it? The reason to start Core Voices, um, there's several. One is my own experience of sexual abuse and violence growing up as a brown woman within the community and even outside of the community as well. But more so, my experiences have been at the hands of people from the from our own community and in our own spaces. As a young woman growing up, I didn't know that we could talk about these things. I didn't know where to go or who do we reach out to what are the avenues to get help so I stayed quiet like everybody else because that was the culture that was the norm that's just what we do and I grew up in a household of quite severe domestic violence and observing how women have to be these pillars of support and resilience but are silent and invisible in this process to keep the family structure together and they they carry this pain and this trauma without ever seeking help. I just thought that that's what we do. And I didn't know there was another way. It wasn't until recently I realized that things can be different. And my last experience or my last um, incident of sexual assault was in 2017. And... People speculate and they say, well, if you've been through it once, then you would go out and you would do X, Y, and Z, and it equals this equation, and therefore it's not going to happen again. So if you've been harmed once, then you go out and you get trained in martial arts, for instance, and now all of a sudden you're you're pretty well equipped. So if you are in a situation where that could reoccur, you now have the tools to deal with it. But what we don't account for is the emotional trauma in how our psyche absorbs this horror this trauma this pain I am trained in martial arts I I, something I was really really in love with in my younger years and when this happened to me as an adult woman in my 30s just a few years ago I froze in that situation and 
Ironically, my anger after that incident wasn't towards the person that harmed me, it was to myself. And I couldn't understand how it was after having all of those tools that, I, that society told me that if you have this in your pocket, it will never happen to you again because mm. you know what to do. But hang on a second. They didn't tell me there's a chance that I would freeze. They didn't prep me for that as a possible outcome. But it happened. And it was only by going through it did I understand the complexity of what a victim has to navigate and how people who haven't experienced it don't know what it's like. Yeah. You can speculate, you can idealize, you can say, we will do this, we will do that, and this is going to stop the problem. But you don't actually know what's needed until you've been through it. My career for the past almost two decades has been in the space of uh, music and wellness. And that's what I've developed myself in. I didn't realize that this was now a point for the two things to combine, where I can show up for victims and use my experiences or my voice to help others come forward as well because we live in the 21st century and we deserve better than this just because those were the circumstances that our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents were in doesn't mean that we have to carry forward those same broken systems the intention behind originally creating core voices was to have a collective space to empower one another and help victims go on their survivor journey. Because when I look across the whole South Asian community, I see an ocean of victims that have never been seen, acknowledged, heard, let alone given any support. And that for me is, is massively problematic. And now as I've continued to work in this space of core voices even more, and we're developing the community and building various campaigns of awareness, what I'm realizing is that there's much more that we need that the West doesn't take into consideration. So Western institutions are built on Western culture and Western mm. ideologies. They don't cater for South Asian values. They yeah. don't cater for the nuances of how we operate as people. There are, are massive differences just in the language that we use. So, for example, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. When I go to the doctor, if I've got a problem with my breasts I wouldn't say breast I would say my chest and if there's something going on down there I would literally say <laughs> down there yeah. instead of vagina and this is language that is not it's not comfortable for us to use we yeah. haven't been raised to use these words mm. when we went to the doctor with our mom that's what she yeah. would say down yeah. there or chest and I've learned how these are barriers in us seeking support because if you were to go to the police like I did when I reported this incident that happened I didn't use the buzzwords mm. I didn't say breast I didn't say vagina therefore it wasn't recorded as a sexual assault it was recorded under misdemeanors and I didn't find out until it was too late so these sorts of things are completely ignored where it comes to our journeys of seeking healing seeking support or even speaking up about this and our systems are yeah. run by men they don't see the need for this because women talk amongst women men are the ones that have harmed the women so women are not going to talk to the men in the community therefore the men are oblivious to yeah. this being so widespread but we as women that have grown up in the culture there's 
probably not a single woman that we know that hasn't experienced right. some form of abuse, harassment or violence when it comes yeah. to this. And that it's the I think, you know, we obviously look to the elder women for guidance, but their relationship with their own bodies mm. is so has been so it's been squashed it's been they've been told they can't have certain relationships with their own bodies even like you said about saying you know this is my vagina even just using that word it's not a dirty word it's not a bad word that's literally what it is mm. but you know oh pull my earring out um even the older elder women in the community especially you know I feel like even with my mum I feel like I'm teaching her more things about her mm. body than she was ever talked about because her mum didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Or right. if, if she did, it was like, you know, that's just what we have to deal with mm-hmm. because we're women and you just you just get on with it. You just don't talk about it and you just get on with it. And mm-hmm. that's that. And that lack of open conversation about your body as women, about what happens to it, about what can happen to it in the society that we live mm. in. But isn't that interesting? The land where the Kama Sutra was born, where sexuality was something that was, that people were educated about to understand it, to have healthy relationships. Divorce and separation didn't exist before in our communities. Mm. So what, what changed? Where did that significant shift turn up in our spaces that, that flipped this around for us where we can't we can't educate our children about sexuality or puberty or relationships or anything that's going on in terms of our intimate development and communication as human beings. Where did that go? This is, so my background is as a researcher and an academic and my brain just like it fires for things like this and I go down like many research rabbit holes I'm sitting on my computer like a little fiend all night looking for stuff reading different articles and um that's how I spend my my spare time (laughs) (laughs) no shame in that we love that (laughs) um I I'd quite heavily researched the impact of colonization in our cultural practices and especially especially in the the music that I practice which comes from North India from the Sikh tradition but it was meant as a tool for emotional wellness I saw the differences in how things changed and where they changed and where our language as a country as a as a people changed where we became more conservative that was when this shift took place and that was colonization because This wasn't education that the British were comfortable with. It wasn't part of their tradition or their system. And what they inserted or implanted in India was this Western ideology. And this is where the damsel in distress comes from. That's where we see that narrative really played very highly when we look at Bollywood or any of the movies. Um, We we mimicked and replicated their, their idea of beauty and it was, this is where, you know, things like Fair and Lovely came yeah, in. Yeah. Because what whoever was darker skinned was immediately labelled as being ugly or not beautiful. Yeah. And if you are lighter and look more like them, then you are beautiful. Mm. Because they defined for us what beauty is. And we've continued that same distorted idea of what beauty is. And the women in India traditionally were not um, thin they were strong. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they were overweight or they were, you know, unhealthy. They would work the land. They were active as much as men were. 
women were warriors in India and that's not found in many countries. So they had strong physiques. But now we've been made these little trophies that we're just going to place because this is what a woman does. Mm. She wears a little apron. She looks yeah. all cute and pretty. She dances around the house. She cooks them a dinner. <laughs> yeah. That's what she does. Yeah. And she raises timid children. But that, that wasn't India. Mm. India raised warriors. India raised conscious people. India raised saints, right? And it's so interesting as well because those misogynistic values these kind of patriarchal values of a woman's role in the household i feel as though i'm so aware of that in indian spaces or south asian spaces mm. and anytime i see it when you know family gets together or friends or at weddings or at events or whatever it is i it's so obvious to me and it bothers me so much because I'm like, why is this the case? And where did this come from? Because mm. like you said, you know, and especially with Sikhism, you know, it says, you know, everyone is equal. Men and women are equal. You're supposed to treat everyone, you know, the way that you would want to be treated, etc. So then why in that same breath, in, the, in one breath, you're saying, you know, I'm a proud Sikh. I'm a Sikh. I follow this religion. And in the same breath, you're saying no, you can't do that because you're a woman or mm -hmm. you shouldn't talk about that because you're a woman. And and also what you're saying about the British influence, another parallel that I draw on quite often is the whole stiff upper lip attitude and where that came from. Because we all know that that's, you know, a British thing. You're mm -hmm. not supposed to talk about things. You're supposed to be, keep quiet and deal with it and uh, keep them to yourselves. And we do that so much in South Asian culture as well. And... Mm -hmm. In Punjabi communities, we don't talk about the drugs issues that we've got in our communities. We don't talk about the alcoholism and our mm. disordered relationship with alcohol or eating or sexuality or whatever it is. We don't talk about any of that stuff. We don't mm. talk about mental health. You know, we, we have stiff upper lip. We just keep quiet and we just get on with it. And it's really interesting that you were talking about you know that kind of coming in from mm. the colonialization yeah so I, I think it's a number of things because there's there's many things that have been they were brought in at that time and however they were passed on they've been replicated generation through generation up until a point where people didn't know anything different and they assumed that to be the norm and they didn't look back they didn't see what happened and when did this change and why did this change? Were we different to this? Or, you know, even just, like I said, those dots of connecting. Now we don't talk about sex and relationships. We don't educate our children about these things. But the Karma Sutra is born in India. Mm. That doesn't that doesn't add up for me. Um, but people yeah. didn't question that. I think in, in our recent generations, if we say the last three or four generations, because of the majority of migration that happened from the east to the west there was a different priority and a different focus they were never given the luxury of focusing on their mental health or having that language that we have access to now let alone the resources people just didn't know what was wrong with you they would assume that someone's done black magic to you or you, you've gone you, you've lost your mind a bargain mm. that that was it that was those were the only equations that people would come to it wasn't how do we help this person or what do we do because emotionally they need help 
if your arm was broken, that can be fixed because it's a logical problem and they didn't see past anything that's not obvious to the mind or not logical. But because of the, the complications that they had to endure to settle into foreign lands meant that it added layers of complexity and even deeper layers of trauma. They have to settle and mix in with people that don't want them there. They have to learn new languages. They have to learn new ways. They chose to adopt the clothing of these foreign lands and the food and the language and the ways of them to fit in, which means detaching from a part of your own identity and almost becoming submissive to that idea that what is Western is greater than what is Eastern. Mm -hmm. And now we see a huge shift in these last few years where the yeah. west has really caught on to the east and they're like oh yoga is great yes. we want to wear saris we <laughs> want to wear bindis we want to wear henna yeah and you know we want to eat indian food when you go into starbucks and you can buy a turmeric latte yeah you know and your mom's looking at you and saying why is there haldi on the menu yeah. you know <laughs> yeah um then you know that something's changed yeah. and these questions i was having with some of my elders there was huge media campaigns in india to inform the people of the land there that things like ghee and gur, which is jaggery, and turmeric, these sorts of things are not good for you. Take these products that we are bringing you in from the West, which are refined oils, refined sugars, refined flours. Now we're learning, hang on, yeah. all of that stuff's actually bad for you, and the good stuff is the ghee, yeah. is the jaggery, is all of the, the turmeric and the ginger, the stuff that we were already doing before... Mm. The British came yeah. into India. So it's this um, very disturbing uh, reality for a lot of them that we, we were lied to. How do you then overcome that? And then there's us, the generation that's born and brought up here. And there's a part of us which is Indian or Punjabi, however you identify. And the other part which is British. Because you're born into this land, you're born into this culture. And we don't see... The, the journey and the struggle of our parents and what they had to do to get here. Yeah. We don't see that they weren't given those luxuries of talking about mental health or understanding, or, or hang on, even being given the space to appreciate their own culture and their own traditions because it was being shat on by the Western community saying that you guys aren't good enough. You don't fit in here. Like, yeah. You smell like curry, right? Yeah. And now everybody wants to go to the pub and have a chicken yeah. tikka masala. Yeah. What is, what is going yeah. on here? So going back to your, your work with Core Voices. Yeah, you... Sorry for the digression. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> this happens and I'm, I'm so here for it. People are like, don't go on a tangent. I love a tangent. Um, so you, with Core Voices, launched a sexual abuse survey mm. called Me Too Seek. You launched that at the beginning of the year, is that right? So uh, the Me Too Seek campaign, we started um, in 2020 on the third anniversary of the Me Too movement right. itself. So for me, the work that uh, Tarana Janine has done in the space of launching and opening the Me Too space was massive. I couldn't retweet that hashtag because I just, I couldn't bring myself to saying that I am a victim or a survivor of sexual violence. It took three years of work on myself to go on that journey and say, you know what, now now I can. And I saw many other sisters who had that same struggle that wanted to tweet that hashtag, but they couldn't because then people will know. Mm. And once people know in our community, you are tainted, you are screwed yeah. for life There's now. There's a judgment. 
it's, yeah. it's a judgment but then you're ostracized in different ways who's going to marry you what are people going to say about your family and you know what sort of a girl must you be that you got mm. yourself into that sort of a situation all of those eyes and those voices that are prying on your privacy and on your on you as as a dignified woman mm. you know it, it's like it's all stripped away from you so the fear of that is what stops women coming forward and what I asked for in October was for people to come forward as allies. I wasn't asking them to own that hashtag. I was saying, if you support this movement and you stand in solidarity with victims, retweet it or, you know, just share it, post it. And so many people came forward and my DMs were blowing up. I tried to reach out to community members, community leaders from the Sikh community, trying to get their support, saying this is an issue and we need to address it because... The people who are reaching out to me are telling me about things that they experienced in in our faith spaces, in our Gurdwari or in our camps or things like this where we shouldn't be safe. Mm. Now, men think differently to women. And they said, bring us forward these people. We want to speak to them. And I was like, uh, no, this, this is not a circus. I, I work in healing and I know how difficult it is for a victim to come forward and just just find a space that they can trust to say this happened to me that takes a lot yeah. just to get to that point and if i'm going to parade them around in in you know in front of a room of men who are going to judge them and condemn them and silence them even further no thank you i had to find an alternative solution and literally every gurdwara i went to they're all run by men yeah there's there's no proportionality there's no equality in the leadership of these spaces there used to be for colonization okay? <laughs> <laughs> just to go back to that point um but now that there's absolutely not there's no representation there's no space for our voices or our experience and i had to figure out so i had to put my academic hat on and say okay how do i solve this problem how do i get them to understand that this is an issue without getting angry at them and saying shut up and listen to me because i'm telling yeah. the truth and there's there's too many victims that haven't received support and it's your mm. responsibility to do that. No one can deny numbers. So I started looking into research on reporting around sexual abuse and there was nothing that represented our community because our women don't go to the police. We can't, if, if that's somebody that you know, a family member or someone within your circles, you can't go to the police and report them because you're, you're selling your family out in a sense and those layers of loyalty are embedded into us in different ways right and who's going to believe you over your you know whoever you're accusing if it's somebody who's a leader in the community an elder or mm. a family member so so many victims were deterred because of those reasons to come forward meaning there are no statistics and for men they think because there's no statistics there's no problem when you went to the Gurdwara to to bring about this issue and say mm -hmm. look something needs to be done did the Gurdwara leaders say to you, did, did they imply that they didn't believe what you were saying or that it wasn't a problem? I had a variety of responses. I had some who were forthcoming and they were really open and said, yes, we stand with you because these sorts of things have happened and we didn't know how to deal with them. We tried to lead them to the authorities, but they didn't want to report. And if they didn't want to report, we didn't know what else to do. Um, and they were genuinely distressed by the different scenarios that they'd shared with me because they wanted to have justice but they didn't know what it was um so that helped me to understand and then there were some who refused to believe that it was an issue or that it's as widespread 
as we are claiming it to be in this movement, um, they think that this is an exaggeration, which is absolutely not. So the survey came from this journey, knowing that there's people who are resisting, who don't want this movement to take off at all. And I met a lot of them. I received a lot of those phone calls and emails and messages, which were not nice. They were quite threatening, in fact. Oh, gosh. Um, and it was, it made me really think, why would somebody be so defensive? Why would somebody not want this movement to go ahead? Either they are a perpetrator, and this is a big judgment, but because I don't mm. know what their reasoning mm -hmm. is, but I can only like try to hazard guesses, or they've protected somebody that has harmed somebody else. So for me, that you would only be defensive for one, like those sorts of reasons mm. that... Or they don't like the fact that a woman is trying to change something, or a woman is trying to use her voice to raise awareness about something. Maybe. Some yes. people might just not like that you are a woman and you are shouting about something important. Yeah, and especially something yeah. that has the word sex right. in it. Right, exactly. And exactly. That, that's actually true because if you did say to me that this is uh, quite unbecoming of somebody like me, um, because I'm known to practice sick music, um, and now I'm making gurdware or, you know, sick organisations and places of worship look bad, because I'm there on one side, you know, doing these huge campaigns to feed people during COVID for free, feeding the homeless and doing all this great stuff in the community and being upstanding citizens. They don't want people to know um, that there's other stuff that goes on behind the doors and that there are weaknesses in the space. What they didn't understand is that my approach wasn't to get a hammer and destroy. I'm saying I'm a part of the community. I've grown up in these spaces. I love my community. I love my faith. I love my people. I see the problem because I've been a victim of exactly this at the hands of my own community. Mm. Uh, but I'm coming forward with solutions. I'm saying that there are ways that we can handle this the right way if we do it together. But the resistance part of it, yes, people don't want women to come forward, which contradicts the very values of the Sikh faith. Right, right? exactly. Where is that equality? Where is that representation? So I'm trying to address it in the most sensitive way that I can, but without denying the importance of this work. Many told me that I should sit down quietly in a room behind a closed door with people who have, because there are cases in the UK that have arisen in these past you know, months or even the last few years. The Gurdware or the committees want them to just go away quietly and there's no actual justice or there's no actual change that comes. They mostly dissuade the person to press charges and allow the perpetrator to continue serving without people knowing that this is a predator. And they don't see that as being problematic, which is what scares me. Because when we allow these people to exist in plain sight, we are letting them harm our people. We're allowing them to create victims, which means we are complicit in encouraging sexual violence in our community. Yeah. And that makes me feel disgusted. It's like this, the silence is a solution. Yeah, but in not. fact, the silence is absolutely not a solution. Mm. It's only going to make things worse because, like you said, we're letting the abusers and mm -hmm. perpetrators continue doing what they're doing, exactly. and they can do it with their chest. You know, they can do it with confidence because they know that no one's going to speak up about it. Absolutely. And if if they try to, they're not going to be believed. Or if they go to 
uh, you know, if they lean on their faith and speak to their faith leaders, they might be told to pray and yes. it will pass. There you go. Right. So the survey we dropped this year, because we we needed to show our community that this is a much bigger issue than you're giving it space or you're, you know, you're willing to appreciate it to be. So it was the first survey that's ever been done in our community. And the reason that I, I did it specifically for the Punjabi and Sikh community was because I believe that every single South Asian cultural group and faith group has different needs. This exists in every community, East mm. and Western, everywhere. But if we're looking for solutions, we have to zoom into the community, look at the needs, look at where is this happening and the numbers speak. Currently, like some of the st statistics that I can share is that the majority, and by the majority, I mean more than 96% of victims that came forward on the survey were female, meaning that there's something going wrong there. So it's not negating that this doesn't happen to males. It does. There are male victims, but the majority of victims are female. And even if it was more than 50%, that's still the majority, but we're talking more than 96%. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, the most common places for the abuse to take place, more than, I think it was more than 60% was within family and social settings. The remainder, 30 plus percentage, was in sick places of worship or sick camps. Where we would think it's the most you're, safest. Yeah, you're supposed to be safe. And for me, even like 1% would have been a big number if that fell into the six spaces. Because for the values that this faith is about, that it's born on, the foundation layers, those stones that are supposed to be of integrity and safety and protection are destroyed when even one person comes forward and says, this happened to me in a Sikh Gurdwara. It means where are the people watching? Where is the protection? Where is the accountability? What are we doing as a community? And when the percentage is this high, that is, for me, that is an epidemic because there shouldn't even be 1% yeah. or 0.1%, right? Yeah. Um, and this is far too much. This is far too much. So we haven't yet released the, the figures, but we will be mm -hmm. in, in the coming months sharing that with the community to actually bring about some change and action and i'm hoping that they will stand with us to allow us to support them in order to improve the weaknesses that exist in these structures and these institutions at the moment mm -hmm. because there there's a massive blind spot or more than one blind spot where it comes to protecting young people and vulnerable people in these spaces yeah and if if we you know, it comes, it's, it's as with everything, when you have um, more diversity at the top or you have a wider variety of people at the top, there's therefore more experiences and therefore there's more mm. understanding. And not always, but most of the time, that's how it works. And when there are no women at the top of the Gurdwara or the faith institutions, whatever faith you are, when there aren't, if you're, and you're dealing with something like this, when there aren't women at the top there's no one saying i know how that feels if we're talking about the you know 96 percent majority there may very well be men who who've been through that mm -hmm. but statistically there's probably not there's there's more likely to be women right who have been through that so when they're not there at the top it's like you have to shout even louder and you have to try even harder mm -hmm. to be heard and say no what i'm telling you is right whereas if there are women there they would say 
I know she's right because I've been through it or I know mm-hmm. someone who's been through it or, you know, and it, it's such, it's, it must be so, frust- is it frustrating for you? Extremely. To, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it's frustrating for me just talking yeah. about it. But it's yeah. extremely frustrating um, because we deserve better than this. And there was a part of me that was very angry that the elders let us down. Uh, they should have done better by us. If they knew this happened, they shouldn't have covered these things up. They should have held those people accountable and help them to actually change their ways, not just let them be and continue to exist or go into hiding and pop up somewhere else, which is what happens. Even actually just yesterday, I was I was in conversation with a friend and I he is an ally. So it, it's not that he's not an ally, but um, his understanding of the situation was quite similar to this, that I'm, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. And I was, I was angry. Mm. I was so angry because I was like, are you serious right yeah. now? Are you really serious? You're not willing to listen. You're not willing to understand. There's no empathy. There's no room mm-hmm. to actually hear another opinion, which is different to your own or another experience. And appreciate that that experience has happened and taken place in the same world that you've lived and had your experiences in and it's it's unfortunate because what it means is there's a lack of compassion and they are for me is at the center of the sick faith and the values and it, it doesn't matter whether I haven't shared your experiences I can still have compassion and show up for you Mm. as a support system right Mm -hmm. that's what I believe Sangha and community is but here I realized that from his logical perspective of the world, he just thought because it hasn't happened to him or enough right. people around him, it must therefore, not be that big of a deal. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, oh dear, that just means we have to make a hell of a lot more yeah. noise, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't the route that I was hoping to take, but I'm realizing there's a need for it. Mm. There has to be a lot more awareness. And, you know, if that means hitting my head against a wall a little while longer I'm willing to do it yeah. if it gives a pathway for other victims out there to know that they deserve they deserve support they deserve a pathway to healing and their story and their voice is valid there's a space Absolutely. for it you know and when when you get um people who kind of think oh well I don't know anyone who's been through it firstly you might do they just might not be telling you mm-hmm. and secondly I always think you know I don't know any woman and I, I think there must be a very small percentage of women who haven't at least dealt with sexual harassment mm-hmm. like it's part and parcel of being a woman we all deal with it right because mm-hmm. unfortunately that's the way our society um is shaped but I always feel like when people say oh you're making a big deal out of nothing or that's just the way it is I kind of feel like saying, do you not think that we've had this conversation with ourselves already? Mm -hmm. When you feel a grope, when you get whistled at, Mm -hmm. when you feel a hand in a place where it shouldn't be on your body that you own, and yet this other person is is taking control of it. Mm Do you not think we've already had that conversation with ourselves? Like, am I just making a big deal out of this? Mm -hmm. Is this just nothing? Am I just making a fuss? Because that is the way that we've been raised as girls and as women. To second guess ourselves. And it's like, 
you know and then and then then comes the anger you know unfortunately some women do think yeah you know i'm just making a fuss this is nothing mm-hmm. but if you're anything like me and you <laughs> then comes the anger it's like hold on a second no yeah. I'm not making a big deal. Absolutely. I have every right to be angry. I have every right to be upset because even if it wasn't happening to 96% other women, mm-hmm. even if it was just happening to a few, doesn't make it okay. Of course it doesn't. Doesn't make of it okay. Of course it doesn't. And I think these conversations, the only way that we can actually make change is when we've got equal representation in the room at the table. So there's men at the table who are willing to listen and understand that this is a problem Growing up in female bodies um, and brown female bodies in a Western country hasn't been an easy journey for me. And I can imagine mm-hmm. the same for you. I mean, guys, they they judge us so hard for many things. Like if we if we dress down, we're tomboys. So we carry that label. If we make an effort in how we look, then we're slags. You know, <laughs> yeah. there, there's no middle line. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we take pride in how we 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 dress up and present ourselves to the world, apparently we're only doing that because we want men to want right. us yeah. right we want men to look at us no we friggin don't yeah. we do it for ourselves yeah and they can't comprehend that they think that a woman dressing up is to get sexual attention mm. they don't understand how many things go through our heads before we leave the house at night even mm. if it's just to go to your car to get something what am I wearing? Do I have my keys? Do I have anything to protect myself? Am I wearing trainers in case I need to run? Where is my car parked if you're coming back late from some place? You know, did I park it in a place where there's a like, there's enough light? You know, there's enough people around. Um, are you watching over your shoulder when you're walking down the street? Are you walking faster than you normally would during mm-hmm. the daytime just because you're afraid that something could happen yeah. because something's happened before? A lot of people who wrote in the survey, there was a, a comments box, which was optional. And you'd be surprised how many people shared their, their experiences. How many women, South Asian Punjabi women, right, said that they had deliberately gained weight so that they would not look beautiful, meaning that they would be less likely to become victims of assault again. Oh my gosh. And then on the other flip side, we've got the expectations, the social standards of beauty, um, so they're being re-traumatized in many ways when they go to family functions and people are like, oh, you've let yourself go mm. a bit. Because there's know? always comments. Oh, of course there's there always is. comments about yeah. it. And it's, we don't see how much this trauma impacts women through their whole lives. And it's a different experience for guys. They don't have to think about where they're going, what they're wearing. Do they have their keys if they need to grab them real quick because they have to stab someone or punch someone, right? Mm. Um they're not thinking about all of that stuff. They don't tell their friend, hey, I'm leaving now to go to this place. Okay, I'm there now. Oh, I'm on my way home. Oh, I'm home now. They don't do that. We do that. Yeah. And we have each other's backs because we get it. But this experience of being in a female body is too far detached for men. They've never had those experiences. And the only way it can change is when they're willing to understand yeah. and offer us that ear saying, okay, you know, we acknowledge that we screwed up by not understanding that Mm -hmm. for you living in this world has been different for us as men. How many men get unsolicited dick pics in (laughs) their DMs? Think the way that I look that that wouldn't happen to me, right? Well, well, no, but but (laughs) this is, you know, our society's beauty standards 
suggests that if you don't look a certain way, then why would any man? I mean, also this is very, I should say, like this is all very like heteronormative. It's all through a very like heterosexual um, lens. But we would probably say, oh, if you don't look X Y Z, then why would why would men send that to you? Why would men be sexual with you? Why would they right. say these things to you? It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what size you are. How old you are, you're a woman. Right. You're a woman in a, in a woman's body. So I, as a woman of faith, because I wear my turban, most people would assume that there would be a layer of respect or of dignity or, or of something that might deter people from sending me stuff like that in my DMs. No. Nope. No. Nobody is Ugh. safe. If you're female, there's nobody yeah. out there that is safe. I mean, whether you're walking down the street and, you know, somebody makes uh, an uninvited comment towards you that was different being at home being you know locked down during covid it didn't change for women it just happened online but for for us it's where where is safe you know when we're walking down the street it's not safe when we're at work it's not safe mm. when we're in our places of worship it's not safe and you're for many, saying about in their the families, families yeah it's not safe so where is safe where is yeah, safe exactly so one of the things that we're trying to do is create those safe spaces and core voices to be the beginning of building that community um it's for for people of all genders and of all faiths core is a, a word that was used for empowerment and it wasn't gender specific it's been used that way and the narrative has changed where you know for the sick community it means princess mm -hmm. and it's for women and sing is for guys but it was recognizing the power of the feminine that 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 extreme force of divinity exists in both bodies and you mentioned you know wearing wearing your turban and um that is is you know a very obvious expression of your faith when you were talking to Gudwari and, and people in faith spaces about your survey and what you found, and they weren't totally receptive, um, and the comments and calls and the abuse that you got for it, did your faith ever waver? No. My connection for me is with my my guru with mm. what i believe the values that are important to me they are not dependent on an institution or on a person or on somebody's opinion and for that i'm grateful that i have that connection and that relationship i think in fact that's what gives me the strength to do this work knowing that i'm going against the grain i'm definitely making a lot of people uncomfortable that's the only way that we make change right it's the awareness that i'm okay where i'm at i i've got ground under my feet i've got a solid support system and this work needs to be done it's about getting the work done it's about making sure that in in six spaces at least you know at least if not everywhere we eliminate sexual violence it, it doesn't coincide or in any way um, working unison with the values of Sikhi. It does not. It completely contradicts. It's the complete polar opposite of everything that the Sikh faith is supposed to be about. Therefore, the only solution to this is to eliminate that. And that can only happen with a lot of work. Yes, there's going to be re re resistance. There's already 
a lot of hard work that's gone in and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more that we all have to do collectively not everyone's going to support it not everyone's going to like it but if it means protecting more victims from having to endure abuse and taking that completely out of our spaces it's worth it, mm-hmm. it, it the backlash doesn't bother me it doesn't what what people say or how they treat me or none of that makes a difference because for me it's about doing the work it's about making sure that no more young people or vulnerable people get harmed in in our community at all yeah so in as a kind of synopsis what what would you love to see each person in the Punjabi Sikh community what would you love to see them actively doing to destigmatize sexual abuse and be more open about the reality of the situation hmm. for me the the key thing that everybody can do is improve communication within the family spaces build circles of support and trust and for that the work that has to happen before it is that parents and children who are engaging in these conversations need to take out judgment because there's experiences on both sides that you don't know about yet because you haven't had those conversations and you have to be good listeners that is what we are terrible at throughout the whole south asian community but definitely in the punjabi community we are terrible listeners mm. somebody talks to us we don't listen to understand we listen to entertain ourselves and we want the details we want the information we don't want to know what happened behind it and we're not looking to offer you any support so it's a very selfish mode of communication that we're in and um very unhealthy if you like if we were to talk about that model of you know the unhealthy listening if if i'm not feeling good because of my anxiety and i tell you that usually the response would be quite abrasive instead of compassionate and understanding to calm me down and make me feel safe it would deter me from wanting to engage in this conversation mm-hmm. which is why a lot of the younger generation don't communicate well with their parents because there's a lack of understanding and listening on both parts so you need to get to know each other you actually really need to get to know your own family learn their stories and understand why your parents are the way that they are and for parents to understand why their children are behaving the way that they are and if if you feel that your family's changed or the communication's not as great as it used to be there's something to it and it's every family's responsibility to find that out so if we start in our homes and just show up for each other mm-hmm. not put judgment there but just say hey i'm here to listen and when they have spoken to you make sure that you honor the integrity of that space and you're not judging you're not enforcing you're not going to punish them afterwards for whatever information that you've just now received but if you want to build trust that's the way to start mm-hmm. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much. I just feel very much like yes, we're going to make change. We're going to yes, tackle we're gonna this. Make <laughs> we're going to do this. Thank you so much for joining oh, me on this my episode. Absolute pleasure. I appreciate thank it you so much. much. You've been listening to Chit Chat podcast with me, Kanika. 
You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kanika B-A-N-S and follow the podcast on Instagram at Chit Chart Podcast. You can also find it on Twitter at Chit Chart Pod and you can also send me an email on chitchartpodcast at gmail.com. The logo was designed by Sana Chowdhury, whose other brilliant work you can see on Instagram at sunac.design. That's S-A-N-A-A-C dot design. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It helps the podcast get noticed by others. Thanks.